Thank you. Thank you. How are we doing, Anthony? Are we on? Yes. Can you hear me? Yep. Good. Okay. Good morning. It's great to be here. I'm a little nervous, a little scared. It is my first time preaching here at the family of St. Matt's, although that's kind of a lie. I did preach at 8 o'clock a couple hours earlier. The, the poor buggers, it was a bit of a warm-up, so don't, don't tell them that. Anyway, um, look, I am really excited. We've got a great passage ahead of us. But um, why don't we just pray together that God would open up our hearts and minds to what he has to say to us. Why don't we do that? Would you join me? Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. Lord, we pray that um, as your word is open, that you would speak to us. You would make whatever it is you want us to hear clear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let me start with a story, if you will. Um, when I was young, we used to go up to the Blue Mountains as a family about once a year or so and stay at this quite nice resort. It was really fun. Even my grandparents would come along. Well, this one particular day, we're heading out the entrance of this quite nice resort when my nana starts making a bit of a fuss. Now, she's quite a character, as you're about to learn. She turns to me and the rest of the family and whispers, not very quietly, that she's just spotted the one and only famous Australian supermodel, Elle McPherson. And she was pretty excited. I mean, that's a pretty good celebrity sighting, isn't it? Except not really for me. I didn't know who she was. At this point, I'm only 10 years old and not that interested in supermodels just yet. And so I didn't recognise her and therefore I didn't really care. But my nana did. Now, she didn't, like a normal person, just wave or simply leave her alone. She chases her through the car park and it doesn't end there. This is true. She's here. She can verify it for you. It, it doesn't end there. She chases her through the car park. Poor Elle jumps into the back seat of the car and then Nana runs up, runs up to the window and starts banging on the window. Now, I don't know what Nana is hoping to achieve here. Maybe Elle will wind down the window and they can have a nice chat and become friends. That doesn't happen. Anyway, meanwhile, me and the rest of my family, we are hiding behind other parked cars, trying to distance ourselves from this crazy old lady. We don't know her. She must be someone else's loopy old grandmother. You see, my nana recognised who this woman was, a very famous supermodel, and she wanted to get a closer look. But I just didn't know who she was. Maybe if I'd been a little older, a teenage version of me almost certainly would have known who she was and probably could have recognised all her friends too. But I didn't, and so I didn't really care. And therefore, I was kind of embarrassed by how my nan was acting. But my nana did recognise her, and she was going to risk embarrassment to get an up-close-and-personal encounter with Elle. Have you ever done something like this? Have you ever been like my nana, or maybe like me? Have you ever been in the presence of greatness and known it like my nan, and not cared what anyone else thinks to approach them? Have you ever been in the presence of greatness and not known it, like me, and maybe even looked down on others for getting excited about them? Well, today, we're going to witness two people in the presence of greatness, Jesus. Two people, though, who see Jesus very differently because they see themselves very differently. Now, we've got two characters in this story, a guy called Simon and a woman. We don't know her name. We're going to look at them both and as we do, we really need to be asking ourselves this question. Which one of these characters 
am I more like? Because how we see ourselves will affect how we see Jesus, which affects everything. All right, let's dive into this passage. Open up your Bibles. We're going to be looking at uh, this passage for the length I'm going to be speaking, the next 55 minutes or so. I'm kidding. Um, So we're going to dive right into it. Here we go. Let me read for you. Verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Okay, now let me just set the scene. So we have this character, Simon, hosting an elite dinner party for him and his religious mates. And Jesus has been invited. Now, we don't really know why he invited Jesus. Maybe he was intrigued. Maybe he wanted to grill Jesus and question him. Maybe he simply wanted to have an intellectual chit-chat. We don't really know. Now, this banquet looks quite different from the dinner parties that you or I might have in our homes. Simon, probably a wealthy, affluent guy, would have had this really big dining room and in the centre of it would have been this low-to-the-ground dining table and surrounding it would have been these low-lying couches. So guests would come in, sit down at the table and recline at the couch, leaning on their left elbow, feet tucked in under them, sandals off, feet facing away from the table. I think this picture is kind of helpful. Thanks. You see, obviously, Jesus in the centre there. And you see how, just in the left-hand corner, this woman has access to his feet. She's not sort of scurrying under the table, like our tables, to get to his feet. She kind of has quite easy access. I'll leave that up there. I think it's kind of helpful. Okay, let's get into these two characters. Firstly, the woman. Verse 37, let's keep reading. When a woman who had led a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house... She brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. Okay, what's going on here? Why is she doing this? First of all, who is this woman? Well, verse 37 describes her as a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town. Literal translation a woman of the city. Anyone guess what that means? She's a working girl. This woman's a prostitute. So what is a woman like her doing at a guy like this house? Well, back at these ancient Middle Eastern banquets, the doors of the house would have been left wide open and uninvited guests would have been free to come and go, especially if an interesting guest was attending. So... As we've already kind of set up, the guests would have been seated in the middle on couches around a table and the uninvited people would have been seated on the outside. They would have been part of the background. But even though the doors of the house would have been open to outsiders, it still took great courage for this woman to show up at Simon's house. Why? Well, it's kind of obvious, isn't it? She's a prostitute. I mean, this woman is an outcast in almost every sense of the word. She's on the absolute last rung of the social ladder. No one at that dinner party, apart from Jesus, would want to have anything to do with her. She was dirty, unclean, unloved and ashamed. This woman simply doesn't belong there. Okay, so what does she do when she gets there? 
Maybe she slinks into the background at first, sits on the outside of the guests, you know, with the outsiders, probably fairly unnoticed. But then, then she does the unthinkable. Then she approaches Jesus. And something happens. Something maybe she wasn't expecting. She's overcome. You see that? You know, maybe her purpose in coming is simply just to anoint the feet of Jesus with the perfume she'd brought, but a lot more happens, doesn't it? She sees herself and her sin very clearly, and this affects the way she responds to Jesus. What does she do? She starts to cry. You know, maybe softly and quietly at first, but then she weeps. Big, loud, hacking sobs. Enough for the tears to fall on Jesus' feet and to be able to clean them. I mean, that's a lot of tears, isn't it? She then undoes her hair. Now, it's hard for us to understand that this would be a big deal, but back then, it was a very shameful thing for a woman to do to undo their hair in public. Actually, some rabbis said it was grounds for divorce. But she's not really caring what other people think at this point. She undoes her hair and uses it to wash Jesus' feet. Now, Jesus is obviously, of course, turned around at this point and slowly everyone turns around until everyone has stopped talking and everyone is staring at this woman. Can you feel the tension in the room? We'll come back to the woman in a moment. Let's now focus on our second character, Simon. Let's keep reading in verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Okay, who's Simon then? Well, we know that Simon's a Pharisee. And what does that mean? Simon is a religious guy, a rules guy. This man prides himself on all the laws he can keep and what a good moral person he is. You see, for Simon and most religious people, they think you make yourself right with God by what you do. And what's that called? Self-righteousness. Simon sees himself as righteous because of his religion, by what he does. But you know what? You don't even have to be religious to be self-righteous. I don't know what you think, but most people in our culture aren't religious. But they would say of themselves, I'm a pretty good person. But how do you justify your pretty good person status? It's by what you do, isn't it? Anyway, we're going to go back to Simon here. See, the way Simon sees himself affects the way he sees others, the woman, condemns her, and the way he sees Jesus. Simon sees this woman as she sees herself, dirty, unclean, unlovable and shameful. And Simon thinks, if Jesus is a prophet, if he was a real teacher, he would know what kind of woman she is, like I do. And he wouldn't let her anywhere near him. But that's not how Jesus sees her. And praise God, that's not how Jesus sees us either. You know, later on in the passage, Jesus asks Simon this really awesome question. 
do you see this woman? It really is a great question. I mean, does he? You know, he doesn't see her like Jesus sees her. She's a woman made in the image of God with a name and with a future. Simon can only see a dirty sinner, a failed person, a label. Well, how does Jesus respond to Simon? Let's keep reading. Verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Sounds ominous, doesn't it? Tell me, teacher, Simon replies. And Jesus tells this very short parable. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he cancelled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. It's not a complicated parable, is it? It's actually fairly simple. But this little parable really helps sum up, explain the gospel well. Let me explain. Two people owe money. One has a large debt, 500 days wages, and another a smaller debt, 50 days wages. But here's the point Jesus is making. Neither of them can pay. So while one person may have a bigger debt, they're both in the same boat, aren't they? Why? Because neither of them have anything to pay with. Both of their accounts before God are empty. So what does it matter how much you owe? Okay, this is what Jesus is saying to Simon. Don't think your religion and your good deeds add up to anything. Don't think you can make yourself right with God by what you do. Don't think all the laws you keep and the sin you try and avoid will bring you salvation because it can't. Why? Because you can't pay anything off your debt yourself. And here it is. You cannot save yourself. See, Simon doesn't recognize Jesus for who he really is, the saviour of the world, because he doesn't think he needs saving. And what's at the heart of Simon's sin? Well, it's his pride, isn't it? It's his sense of self-righteousness. He either thinks, I don't have a debt, or if I do, it's a really small one and I can take care of that myself. Because of the way Simon sees himself, his self-righteousness has blinded him to his need for a saviour. The way Simon sees himself has affected the way he sees and even treats Jesus. I mean, what does Jesus say to him? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet. You didn't greet me with a kiss. You didn't put oil on my head. You see, back then in this ancient culture, it was the basics of hospitality to offer your servant to wash your guest's feet or at least give them a towel and a bowl of water for them to do it themselves. Simon doesn't do this. It was hospitality 101, as it still is, to greet your friends, your guests, with a kiss as they come in the door. Simon avoids Jesus as he enters. It was a sign of respect to offer your guests olive oil you know, for their heads or maybe even to anoint their heads for them. Simon's forgotten all about this. On all three counts, Simon has failed the etiquette test. Zero out of three. Simon, blinded by his pride and his self-righteousness, has failed to recognise that he's in the presence of greatness. Jesus, 
And he's vowed to treat Jesus with even the respect he deserves and ultimately fails to see his great need for this great saviour. Now, this is where it gets a little uncomfortable for all of us and unfortunately, especially me. You see, it's so easy to point the finger at Simon, isn't it? It's so easy to say, what an idiot. What a fool. I can't believe he didn't recognize Jesus. I can't believe he treated him so disrespectfully. What a loser. But really, I think a lot of us need to be asking ourselves, how much like Simon am I? How proud, how self-righteous, how judgmental am I? You know, for me, preparing this message over the last few weeks has been really quite painful because I can be a lot like Simon. Do you know how often I look at other people and think, well, at least I'm doing better than them? I mean, okay, I might be a sinner, but thank goodness I'm not that much of a sinner. Do you know how often I measure myself against other people and then when I think I'm doing better, how good that makes me feel? And you know what it does to me? It feeds my pride and my sense of self-righteousness. And then it blinds me to my need for Jesus. Yeah, I guess I need Jesus, but not as much as that person. It's wrong, isn't it? It's so flawed, this thinking. Well, is there any hope for a prideful, self-righteous man like me? Thankfully, yes, and his name is Jesus. Let's finish by coming back to Jesus' effect on this woman. You know, it's no big assumption to imagine this woman witnessing some of the amazing miracles and healings that Jesus has been doing in the previous chapters of Luke that we've been journeying through together as a church. You know, maybe she sat around, maybe she heard Jesus' incredible teaching on forgiveness, on the love of God, on what it means to be a child of God, and what it means to be part of his kingdom. Remember, sinners, outcasts, people just like this woman, were drawn to Jesus as they still are today. Instead of trying to stay away from people like this, like Simon and his religious buddies, Jesus got down and dirty with them. Jesus, king of the universe, king of heaven and earth, got off his throne, took off his crown and entered human history. Why? To seek and to save people like you, people like me and people just like this woman. This woman hears Jesus' teaching of forgiveness and she accepts it. This beautiful message that no matter what I've done, the God of the universe can forgive me and wants to have a relationship with me? It's scandalous, isn't it? A woman like this, welcomed into the kingdom of God, it's crazy. It's beautiful. It's grace, isn't it? What a beautiful picture of grace. She hears that Jesus is going to this dinner party and she turns up. Why? To worship him. 
to show her appreciation, her gratitude, her thankfulness to worship Jesus. This message has affected her. It's changed her. It's given her hope. It's given her a future. The end of the parable makes it clear, doesn't it? Which one of these guys who who owes his debts will love him more? It's obvious, the one with the bigger debt. Even Simon gets that. She has absolutely no false illusions about her past. She knows she's she's a sinner. And Jesus doesn't shy away from that fact, does he? He knows her sins are many. She's probably led a very messed up and broken life. And she knows it. She approaches Jesus that night to honour him for what he's done for her. And she's overcome with gratitude, isn't she? She sees herself clearly and she knows who she was before she met Jesus. She cannot believe this incredible good news. Even after all I've done, the God of the universe can forgive me? That is the beauty of Jesus. That is this message that we have to share with our friends, with our family, with the people we work with, with our community. That's the beauty of Jesus. This woman takes the alabaster jar of perfume and she uses it to pour over Jesus' feet. I remember when I first read this, I imagined this woman sort of carrying in this enormous stone jar of perfume, but really was actually more like a small, skinny flask. You know, women in those days wore them around their necks and uh, it was really mainly used to make themselves smell nice. The hole in which the perfume came out was very small and so really they just wore them around their necks to beautify themselves, to entice other men. Okay, now picture this woman making herself beautiful, making herself enticing to other men, was her business, her profession. So she comes to Jesus that night wanting to anoint his feet with the perfume but the only way to really use an alabaster sort of skinny flask like this is to break the skinny neck and pour its entire contents on Jesus' feet. And afterwards, the jar's useless. Can you see what this woman's doing? In this act, she's pouring out her old self. She's giving up her old life in this act. She's saying, Jesus, I give up my entire old life for you. She's repenting. Your message of forgiveness has completely changed my life. I'm overcome with gratitude and I discard my old life for this new one that you offer me. And that's what we all need to do. That's the hope for us all. That's the hope for a religious, self-righteous man like me. And that's the hope for a a wayward sinner, pagan, who's all they've ever done is turn their back on God. And that's the hope for everyone in between. This is Jesus' incredible message. No matter who you are or what you've done, you can come to me. And I will forgive you. I will heal you. I will redeem you. 
I will break the chains of religion and the shackles of sin. This is our great hope for Jesus to say to us what he says to this woman. Verse 48. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? It's a very good question worth asking. Who is this man who claims to do only what God can do? Ignoring, I love how Jesus does this, ignoring everybody else at the party, Jesus zooms in on this woman. And what does he say? Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now Jesus forgives this woman. Why? Because of her incredible acts of worship? No. Because of her faith in Jesus. Her lavish acts of devotion and worship are in response to her joy in being forgiven. And if you don't know Jesus as your saviour, then today is the day to have Jesus say to you what he says to this woman, your sins are forgiven. How? Be like this woman. She wasn't kidding herself about her past. She knew who she was. She saw herself clearly and because she did, she recognised her need for Jesus. I just want to ask you this morning, where are you at? Can you relate at all to this woman? Do you feel burdened by your past? Do you feel chained to your sinful life? Do you feel ashamed or alone or broken? Then do what this woman does and do the only thing that you can do and come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and repent just like she does. Jesus, I'm sorry for the the life I've lived away from you. I need your forgiveness. I want your forgiveness. I want the life that you want for me. And what about for the rest of us? You know, maybe you've been a Christian for 10 minutes, 10 years, 5 decades. Well, it's the same thing, isn't it? The Christian life is a life constantly filled with repentance and faith. I mean, I've been a Christian for 17 years. What do I do? I pray, Jesus, I'm sorry for my pride and my self-righteousness. I'm sorry for looking down on others, big noting myself, and then blinding myself to my immense need for you, for your grace and mercy. This morning, let's together pour out this old life, this old way of living through repentance and faith in Jesus. I'm going to invite the band up now to play. We're going to sing a a song that we all know and we've sung many, many times before. Amazing Grace, My Chains Have Gone. And during this song, it's the chance for you to give generously. If you're a member of this church or maybe you fill in a connect card, pop it in, we want to hear from you. Maybe you might want to say that music minister should stick to music. But when we sing this song, and especially in the chorus, I want us all to remember 
that once we did have chains, right? Those chains were our slavery to sin. And we could do absolutely nothing to get rid of them. Only Jesus could set us free. Or maybe your chains haven't yet been removed. Come to Jesus, the only one who can set you free. He lived a perfect life. He suffered humiliation. He died on the cross three days later, rose again, defeating our enemies, sin and death. Why? To break your chains and to set you free. Why don't we sing this with gusto and encourage each other and be thankful for an amazing Saviour, Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus, our great Saviour. Father, may we never forget that we once had chains and only you could break them and set us free. And Father, if there are people here this morning who are not yet set free from their chains of sin, I pray that you would work in their hearts open their hearts and minds and you would free them by your grace. In Jesus' precious name, we pray together as a family. Amen. Amen.